Hi, Pastor Rob here from Blessed Hope Chapel and RobCartledgeMinistries.com. What you hold is true. Is it really truth? Will what you believe get you through on Judgment Day? Are you keeping to the pattern of sound teaching held out in Scripture? In this series, Truth, Judgment and Eternity, I intend to deliver messages that check the solidness of our Christian foundation so as to guard the good deposit that was entrusted to us as Christ's ambassadors on this earth. To Luke 21. It's the same scripture as last week. Luke 21, 27 to 28. Anyone who knows Luke 21 knows that there's a list of events that are taking place and these events all are in relation to the, or prior to the coming of Jesus Christ. All these terrible things that will be taking place. And then he says, at that time, at the time of the end, they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. So the return of Christ is happening at the end of all these terrible things that is, are spoken of in this chapter. And then it says, when these things begin to take place, he tells us to stand up and lift up our heads because your redemption is drawing near, drawing near, it's coming. It's, on, on, it's closing, we're closing in on our redemption. And uh, of course, it does say when these things begin. It doesn't say when these things have taken place, stand up. It says when they begin. So when we start to see these things which I'm about to go through and list off, stand up, lift up your heads. Know that the Lord is returning. And it's going to happen because... The word of God has been fulfilled up until now on so many fronts. But there are some things that are still yet to be fulfilled. But last week we looked at the urgency of the times in which we live. We are living in really, really urgent times in the sense of we're living in days in which the Lord spoke about 2,000 years ago and he spoke very clearly about them. And by looking at current events, by looking at things that have taken place in the world and comparing that to the last 2,000 years of, of world history, we know that these are distinctly different times than the times prior to these. And as I said last week, just one of the signs is that uh, in the 20th century alone, more uh, Christians were martyred and killed for the faith in the 20th century than every other century combined. That's a, that's a huge statistic. And one of the things Jesus says that will take place before the end is they will lay hands on you and persecute you and kill you. And, in, and there's been a massive and enormous number of martyrs. And if anyone who's ever read the Foxer Book of Martyrs, which I have, you, you, it's mind-blowing to think, wow, what happened here was it just in one century has outdone all of that. Not outdone it in the sense of greater than, it's just that there was so much more of it. You know. So we've got a, just that one thing, that's a sign that the Lord is soon to return because he said that sort of thing will take place in, in enormous proportions. So in Luke 21, Jesus warned us that before he returns that there will be an increase in wars. Has there been an increase in wars in the 20th century? 
there's been more wars in the 20th century. I would dare say, I haven't seen the statistic, but I dare say from knowing the 20th century and the amount of wars that have taken place at any one time and uh, and things like that, there's probably been more wars going on in the 20th century than all the other centuries. There'll be an increase in famines. We see pictures and, and, and we see video footage of some of the terrible famines that have taken place in the world and that have taken place. Earthquakes from the first uh, decade of the 20th century to the, to the present day, in, uh, earthquakes have increased uh, enormously, like, you know, on, on a daily basis all over the earth, um, and they've also increased in power on the Richter scale, you know, from, uh, to some incredible levels of power. Now we're seeing in earthquakes, so there's going to be increasing earthquakes, pestilences, fearful events, signs in the heavens, and as, as I said, you know, we, we're seeing these signs in the heavens, you know, things falling out of the sky and blowing up uh, certain parts of the world and, and that sort of stuff. So we're seeing these things taking place. Uh, Christians will experience persecution, imprisonment, betrayal by loved ones. They'll be hated by all men, as I just explained, uh, with the 20th century and what's taken place with the amount of martyrdom that's been going on in the 20th century. Prophetic signs will be, uh, will be that Jerusalem will be surrounded by armies. Uh, we, that is one thing that we haven't yet seen. It's a, it's a sign that is coming. It's on the horizon. And as I said last week, uh, we know that it's like the world has a vendetta against Israel. You know, it's on daily news every single day. You know, and just recently I've been studying, you know, uh, learning the names of the countries of the world, you know, because that's one thing that I've never really knew is all the countries and names around the world. And Israel is just a speck, a speck in comparison to the massive world. Yet it is, you know, it's like there's a, there's a magnifying glass on it. In, on the world news, every single night, what's going on in Israel? There's like a special segment just for, just for Israel on a daily basis, you know. So they're, they're, that, just, that alone is a sign. You know, Satan is rallying the world against Israel. Propaganda, building the propaganda, building it over the over the decades to the point where the average person dislikes Israel. You know, you talk to the average person, they'll tell you how much they hate Israel. Why? Because of what they've been fed on the news every day. They always get made to look like the bad guy. I'm not saying they're innocent, but they always get made to look like the bad guy no matter how innocent they are. You know? And there'll be signs in the sun, the moon, and the stars. Look up Joel 2.28, the 32, and you'll, you'll read about that. Uh, on the earth, nations will be in anguish and perplexity at the roaring and the tossing of the sea. As I said, you know, the tsunamis. You know, people don't want to live on the coastlines anymore. Cyclones. You know, this is the, the sea is roaring and tossing. And people, as it says here in Luke 21 to 26, men will faint from terror, apprehensive of what is coming on the world. Already we see men and women fainting from the terror of what is coming, but it's going to increase because there'll be days which will, no other days in history will be compare to how bad these days are going to be. And it's coming. Now, the only reason I'm preaching about this is because we've got to wake up. We've got to know it's coming. And there's a good chance, according to what Jesus says, is that we'll be tested in our faith and we could face persecution and imprisonment for the faith. And that's going to be, uh, the cause of a great falling away, a great betrayal against Christ where, where the masses will turn from belief. Now, if our hearts aren't right, if we haven't already resolved to stand that test, we won't stand the test. 
Because if we've got this thing that it's not going to happen to us, and we've already resolved ourselves to think we're going to be raptured before it happens or something like that, there's a good chance that when that day comes, you know, you won't last. So but have your hearts ready. Know that it's coming. Men will faint from terror, apprehensive of what is coming on the world, for the heavenly bodies are going to be shaken. You know, when the ground is shaking around you and you look at the sky and it's blood red and, you know, there's fire, you know, streaking through the skies and the sea is roaring and tossing and there's, you know, uh, washing up fish and, you know, everything dead and people are killing each other and ransacking each other and, you know, just, um, just crazy scenes. People, and that's happening in some countries, not necessarily all the cosmic signs, but at least that's happening on an earthly level in many countries. Right now, they see it. They look out their front door and they're, they're hearing, you know, the people getting killed, screams and shrieks. You know, now it doesn't happen in Adelaide, does it? And we can get, we can rest in that. We can get very comfortable in that and we can get, and we can fall asleep in that. And when it does come, we are sitting ducks, just waiting to be slayed by the enemy, you know. So we've got to wake up. We've got to wake up and be prepared, even though, you know what I mean? Even though it's not happening around us, know that in your heart, you've already resolved this issue. It's no longer an issue. <laughs> you know what I mean? We, we will stand for Christ no matter what. Amen. What most men are realizing to be the imminent end of the world, as we know it, is what the Bible refers to as the days prior to the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, what, they're, what they're realizing to be the imminent end of the world. You know, men, as I said last week, politicians will tell you these, you know, that the world is heading in, in, in terrible direction, in a terrible direction. You know, economists will tell you that the economy is going to, Come, come crumbling down. The um, environmentalists are going to—they're telling us that if we keep on doing what we're doing to the environment, you know, we're going to end up with a desert wasteland all around us. You know, uh, movie makers are, are showing movies of the end all the time. They make it makes a really good movie, <laughs> end time scenarios. S uh, songwriters are singing about it. You know, and most of these guys aren't Christian. They're the doomsday prophets of modern times. They're not even Christian anymore. And what's happened to the Christian doomsday prophet? A lot of them are prosperity preachers. <laughs> Don't worry. <laughs> We're going to be gone before anything bad happens. Just enjoy life. Give generously and God's going to provide for all your needs and you're going to live an abundant life in Jesus. The best life now. In the midst of chaos and anarchy, they're preaching a false message. What are you called? What does the Bible call them? False prophets. They're called false prophets. And what did Jesus say? There's going to be a rise in false prophet, prophets in the last day. Many, many, many false prophets. And they'll still be preaching Christ. They'll be preaching that Jesus is the Christ. But they're leading the people astray with false prophecy. Are we being lulled into a deep sleep and missing the whole point of why God would have us here on earth at this time? Have we missed the point? Have we, 
Have we failed to grasp the gravity of what, who we are in Christ? Have we failed to realise why it is that Jesus would even allow us to be born at this time in history? I don't think Christians are aware of why they're here a lot of the time. They're not here to play with their iPod <laughs> and their iPad, to surf the net, to watch a movie. You know, I, I fall into it too. You know, I'm, I, get, I fall into deep sleeps and these sermons come out of that frustration that I'm experiencing in my own life and I'm thinking if it's happening to me, it must be happening to everyone else too. If I'm in a deep sleep and I need to like rock myself out of it, like you know when you're in those really deep sleeps and you're having a nightmare? And you're like, come on, I know this is a nightmare. Wake up, Rob, wake up, get up. <laughs> and you're trying to wake yourself up out of the nightmare because you don't want to go any further in the dream, you know. And I've woken myself up out of it a few times, you know. We're in a, we're in a real pleasant dream here in Adelaide. <laughs> it's this beautiful dream, you know. We're sitting on the edges of riverbanks and there's beautiful fruit hanging from trees and it's, oh, it's so beautiful. But they don't realise it's like like a thing out of Lord of the Rings that the orgs are marching. <laughs> and we're there, oh, look at this beautiful piece of fruit. <laughs> you know, we're missing it. We're missing it. We're lulled into a deep sleep, being rocked gently by Satan. You know, keeping us sleeping, just keeping us sleeping. He's happy. As long as the church doesn't wake up, he's happy. As long as we don't wake up, Satan won't touch us. But he will, but he's leaving it for an opportune moment when the whole church is really asleep, snoring, deep sleep, you know, what, quick, what is it, REMs or whatever, fast REMs or whatever it is. Oh, yeah. yeah, they're really going for it and you are deep, you know. The orgs will jump us. <laughs> the demons will jump us, you know, right at that moment. That's what he's waiting for. So we have to wake up and we've got to wake the church up. We've got to go and kick some cradles. You know what I mean? Hebrews 3, 12 to 14 says, See to it, brothers, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. You know, one of the things that happens in these deep sleeps is sin creeps in. The church starts to sin, starts to live in debauched ways doing things that they know they shouldn't do, but they do them, thinking no one sees them. Unbelieving hearts, that turns away from the living God. What are we seeing now? We're seeing a massive turning away. And it's not even the prophesied one of 2 Thessalonians 2, verse 3, where it says there's going to be, a, before the coming of the Lord, there's going to be an apostasy, a turning away from the faith. And it happens in relationship to the revealing of the lawless one who is the Antichrist. That happens just prior to the return of Christ. You know? But so what has Satan gone and taught? No, you'd be raptured before that. But he says, before the Antichrist gets revealed, the church is gone. But 2 Thessalonians 2 verse 3 says, Do not let anyone deceive you. This day will not come. And I know I spoke about this last week, but I want to hit it home. I, I need to hit home. I know you guys understand this completely, but still, we need to be shaken and awakened. Because I know if I need to hear it, you guys need to hear it, and we've got to keep hearing it all the more as these days approach. 
see to it that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God by whatever means that Satan would turn us from the living God. But encourage one another daily. There it is. That's why, that's why Jesus instituted the church, to encourage one another daily. You won't stay in the faith unless you realize that the body of Christ is a body and that body is one unit. And that body is all of us partaking of Christ. And as we understand that, we encourage one another daily and all the more as the day approaches, as long as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. You know, if you come to a church like this or or a church like Joe Schimmel's church in, in California, you're going to get encouraged every single day not to be hardened by sin's deceitfulness and not to walk in that way. We have come to share in Christ. We partake in Christ as a body, as a unit. We need each other. We need to keep building each other up in the faith. We need to keep each other strong. Because Jesus is coming and don't let him find you unprepared. You know, that's why he tells us these parables about the foolish virgins. Don't be a foolish virgin. Keep yourself oiled up in the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the representative of oil. Keep filled with the oil of the Holy Spirit. That's why Paul said, be filled daily. Be filled with the Holy Spirit daily. So it's a decision we make. It's not, oh, Lord, the Lord didn't fill me today. It's the same as saying, you know, my wife didn't feed me, so I didn't eat. You know, you go and make, prepare your own meal. <laughs> go in there, grab your food, and prepare a meal. You can't blame anyone else for not eating. You eat. You make him food, you eat. You know, you go to the Holy Spirit and say, fill me, Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit doesn't come and fill you against your will. So it's a daily decision. So we have come to share in Christ if we hold firmly. Get this, if, whenever you see an if, you've got to look at the the verse very carefully. We have come to share in Christ and you only share in Christ by holding firmly till the end, the confidence we had at first. If there was a time in your life when you were really passionate, when you first came to Jesus, when you're really passionate, on fire, reading the Bible, praying, living the life, and then that day has is a distant memory now, this verse is telling you that you're not sharing in Christ any longer. Or you're sharing in him less and less and less. Because it says we have come to share in Christ if, and you, you share in Christ, if you hold firmly to the end the confidence you had at first. So have a confidence in Christ, have that passion in Christ, have lived that life that you lived at first, and that way you hold firmly and you will share in him. Amen? We need to wake up to the desperate need we have to live highly alert lives. Highly alert lives, sensitive to the Lord's will, as well as being highly aware of the sin nature. You've got to be very, very sensitive to the Lord's will. Know the Lord's will. Know from the moment you wake up what the Lord's will is for you that day. And you've got to be sensitive and alert to it. That means you might have to do some research each day. You've got to have to refresh your memory. You're going to have to redevote yourself each day. That's why we call... Our time in prayer and Bible reading is devotions because you devote. 
to that time. It's a devotional time and you re-devote daily. If you don't devote one day, that day is gone and it was an undevoted day. It's got to be a devotion, daily devotion. As well as being highly aware of the sin nature, you must know the sin nature and the way it works in you. And be aware of the different ways in which Satan tries to pull you in and pull you into doing those things and you then got to stand there and resist it. Because the Bible says clearly, resist him, Satan, sin nature, you can see the both, and they will flee or he will flee. If you resist Satan, he will flee. You don't fight Satan and he will flee because he loves having a fight. You resist him. You just say no and you go the other way. And you resist him and you resist him. It's like a, you know, a kid at school just annoying you and annoying you and you just ignore him and ignore him and eventually he just stops doing it. You know what I mean? You just resist and ignore. And that's what we do to the sin nature. We say no. Know what the sin nature is. Know what sin is. It's very easy to forget what sin is. You can be doing something that's dreadfully sinful or at least partially sinful or even mildly sinful and you can convince yourself at the moment of doing it that it's not sinful. Do you know what I mean? So we've got to live highly alert lives. We've got to turn on. We've got to switch on and be really, really with it. You know what I mean? Whenever the body of Christ has switched on and become lived highly alert lives, that, you know what they've called that in the past? They've called it revival. They've called that revival. When the body of Christ gets really alert to these things and gets really sensitive to God and they, they live these full-on devotional lives and they start to seek God with all their heart, suddenly the Spirit of God is poured out in a, in a tremendous way and it starts to spread outside of the church and affect people in the, in the streets. And people come walking out of their houses like, well, you know, what's going on? And the people look at each other, why do I feel conviction for the way I've been living? And then all of a sudden God just leads a Christian along and that's because you're a sinner and you need Jesus. And you need Jesus and you need to stop resisting God. And you've got to stop thinking he doesn't exist because he does and he's going to judge you. And suddenly these people are awakened. I don't know why, but I know it's true. You know, Romans 12, 1 to 2, and it says this, Therefore I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, he urges us in view of God's mercy, and he urges us to do what? He says, offer your bodies as living sacrifices. So what has he urged us to do as Christians? Make our lives an offering. This is a really important thing. You don't just... Offer your body to God today. You don't just offer your life to God today and then take it back tomorrow and keep it for the next few days. And then Thursday comes along and you find a little bit of conviction and oh, yeah, I forgot to offer him my body, my life. So you offer him your life on Thursday, take it back on Friday. And you don't offer your life to God at 11 o'clock and take it back at 12. You offer your life, you offer your bodies as living sacrifices. And how do we do that? How do we make them living sacrifices? It says here, holy, by being holy. And a holy person resists the sin nature. 
and lives for Christ. His Christ is on their lips. You make your life holy and pleasing to God. That's how you offer your life to God. Who, who has trouble? Who, who finds who, who finds it not desirable to live a holy life here? Mm. We, we fall away from doing it, but I, uh, I think I think it is a very attractive thing to be holy. You know, when I hear you know people come up to me and talk about you know say something favourable about our children, for example, and say what wonderful, pleasant, polite, lovely kids you have, and in a way I think in my mind, yeah, they're holy, they're living right lives before God. I find, and, and it's attractive to people because they come up and compliment you. And it's attractive to us as parents to know that about our kids. And if someone, if you, if you talk to someone and they say, oh, this person, he's wonderful, never does anything, says a bad word about anybody and all this sort of stuff and says really, really good things about the person, that person, it, re- it reflects some level of holiness in that person and upstandingness in that person. It's very attractive, isn't it? Because the person's admiring that and telling you about that person. You're just thinking, wow, I'd like to meet that person. You know? Everything is attractive about living a holy life. But how attractive is it to someone who lives a wretchedly sinful life? No one likes it. No one likes it. Only the person doing it. And it's, it's so short-lived, the pleasures they receive from it. And to get more pleasure from it, they've got to do it again and again and again. And they've got to, they get to the point where they have to be engrossed in sin to extract any pleasure. And it gets to the point where that doesn't even do it. You know? And some people have gone to extreme degrees of sin to find any element of pleasure. And I know in, in, they sold their souls for rock and roll and, and uh, there were some interviews with uh, some people that became serial killers. Yeah. That's because they found no pleasure in the sins of the normal sins that everyone else was getting into. They had to get further into sin. And what was the next step? Murder. To get some sort of thrill. You know, that's, that's how far sin can pull a man or a woman. Is that, you know, so sin is dreadful. Holiness, on the other hand, is so desirable to the average person. And really, you know, if you think about it, the average person is, what, 85%, 90% of people are attracted to it without even realising it. It might aggravate them if a person is really, really, you know, outspokenly holy, like, not humbly holy, you know, I'm a good person, you should see all the good things I've done, you know. Or, no one wants to know that guy, <laughs> you know. So you've got to have it all in check, and I've actually covered that in this sermon as well. All right, so then it says this, that our spiritual act of worship, do you want to know what your spiritual act of worship is? Living a holy and pleasing life to God. That's your spiritual act of worship. That's pure worship. And when God sees that in a person and then that person stands up in a worship service and lifts up his hands and praises God in worship, it's well received from God. 
It says, do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world. So what's this telling us? The Bible, and through Paul, is telling us right now, don't conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. We've got to renew our minds. And when do you, how often do you renew your mind? Daily. And how do you re- renew your mind? Devotion. And how do you devote? By making your body a living sacrifice. Living sacrifice to Him, holy and pleasing to God. Not just today and then forget it tomorrow and then the next day and then come back on Wednesday and then forget it Thursday and Friday. You know what I mean? It's a lifestyle. It's a way we have to have a renewed mind, a changed mind. You know, Charles Finney gave us a really good example of this. He said, you know, uh, a certain man uh, was resolved to become an accountant. I'll use that as an example. And he resolved to become an accountant and he, he, he directed all his energies towards becoming an accountant. So he had a mind change and that change changed everything about the way he lived. He studied accountancy and before he knew it is in a practice and all that sort of thing. But then later in life he, decided, he resolved to become a lawyer. So he directed his energies away from that and changed and focused on becoming a lawyer. And all his energies and things and mindsets and everything changed and he became that. And this is the same thing here. We've got to resolve our minds to turn our backs on the sin nature and resolve to go in a new direction, in the direction that God would have us go through offering our bodies as living sacrifices to God. Amen? Now, I'm just going to go through some some scriptures, some powerful ones. Jude 17, uh, verse 17 to 23, it says this, But dear friends, remember what the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ foretold. These things we must remember. They said to you, in the last times... There are going to be scoffers, those who will follow their ungodly desires. Are we, are we living in that time? Are we living in a time where the, the celebrities, the, the people, high-profile people, are the scoffers that are standing up and scoffing against God? You know, I'm, I'm, I've uh, watched on... Uh, during the week, I watched John Lennox debating Richard Dawkins. Richard Dawkins is an outspoken scoffer. <laughs> he scoffed against the cross. He scoffed against what Jesus did when he laid his life down. And I was, I was in shock. I was like, wow, this guy is really going for the jugular. And John Lennox, with such grace and such, you know, um, patience, you know, just rebuked him so adequately, but yet Richard Dawkins, it's, it's like his mind's been seared. He can't hear it, you know. But we're living in that day. We see it. In the last times, there'll be scoffers who will follow their ungodly own ungodly desires. These are the men who divide you, who follow mere natural instincts and do not have the spirit. But you, dear friends, build yourselves up in your most holy faith. Now, hang on, can I go back on that? These are the men who divide you, who follow their natural instincts and do not have the spirit. They follow their natural instincts because they don't have the spirit. You know, what troubles me is those that have the spirit, supposedly we call ourselves Christian, filled with the Holy Spirit, yet we're living ungodly lives. And that's, that's an oxymoron. It should not be taking place in us. But you, dear friends, build yourselves up in your most holy faith and pray in the Holy Spirit. 
So how do you build yourselves up in the most holy faith? By praying in the Spirit. That's why Paul said, unceasing prayer. Live in unceasing prayer. Build yourselves up in, in your most holy faith and pray in the Spirit. Keep yourselves in God's love. Keep yourselves in God's love as you wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to bring you to eternal life. So we've got to keep ourselves in this. And this is why I'm these, this sermon's called Urgent Times because we live in a time where the Lord is coming. He is preparing now. I believe the horses are getting their saddles put on them at the moment. You know what I mean? In the scheme of things, we're that close. And we now have to be stronger than ever because if the Lord is saddling up, Satan is saddling up. You know what I mean? He's trying to get in first, and he does get in first, actually. The Bible tells us he gets in first. He has first shot at the church, and the Lord is going to allow it. Why? Because the Lord wants a holy, spotless, unblemished bride. He doesn't want someone who claims to be a follower but really isn't because they're not prepared to take up their cross and follow him. They love the world more than they love God. So the, he's going to allow this persecution, and I'm warning everyone now, I'm allowing it to, uh, uh, using this time to warn the church and warn us that it's coming. So keep yourselves in God's love as you wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to bring you to eternal life. Be merciful to those who doubt. So we've got to, you know, help people and gently lead them to salvation. Snatch others from the fire, people that are, you know, going to burn. And a lot, of, a lot of our family, we know if they hold to their current mindset, they will burn forever in, in eternity. And we don't want that. So we've got to snatch them from the fire, save them says, snatch others from the fire and save them, and to others show mercy, mixed with fear, hating even the clothing stained by corrupted flesh. So when you show mercy to someone, do it with fear, <laughs> as in don't get into whatever they're getting into. Show mercy, help them to lead them out of it, but don't get swallowed up in what they're doing. Allow them to pull you in. All right. And 2 Peter 3, 9 to 12 says that the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise. As some understand slowness. Why does he say that? He, he says it, and it's in reference to the fact that there will be people that are going to say, where is this coming of the Lord? You know, for thousands of years, you guys have been saying he's going to come. Where is he? Where's Jesus? Who's heard that? Who's heard that argument? Scoffers. Scoffers. I know, I know. Bill, you would have heard it, wouldn't you? Yep, Leach, you would have heard someone argue that point. Where's Jesus? Show me Jesus. 2,000 years, no Jesus. And then they start to think God doesn't exist because Jesus hasn't returned. But it's for their, it's grace to them. That's how you answer him. It's grace to you that he hasn't returned. Because if he's returned and you think like you do now, you're a goner. <laughs> You know, it's simply grace that the Lord hasn't returned. So the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. That's why. And we're fortunate he hasn't returned. We're fortunate. Yeah, it's for our benefit. And it's for us as well. 
to get ourselves into that place where we're going to be presentable before him. So when he comes, he can say, what a beautiful bride I have in you guys. You know, so he won't get here and look at us and go, you're filthy. You're, you're so filthy before me. By the way, you've been living. We don't want to have that, be, have that experience in ourselves. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. Listen to this. The heavens are going to disappear with a roar. Imagine that. You know, the roar of a lion. You know, they, they thunder. Like I was in the zoo and I went walked past the lion cage. And when they roar, it goes through your bones. <laughs> you know the experience? It's like, how can that a sound vibrate your bones right to your heart? And you just think, oh, the power of a lion, that's just the creation. So the heavens are going to disappear with a roar. Now that is going to shake us to the core, isn't it? If a lion rattles my bones, what's the heavens going, you know, being destroyed with a roar going to sound like? Or disappearing like a roar. With the elements will be destroyed by fire. The elements. What are the elements? All the elements. It's fire, water, yeah, air, or wind. Yeah. Wind, water, air. Yeah. Yeah. Air, wind, and fire. There's none like that. Huh? Earth? Earth. Yeah, earth. Yeah, so they're the elements. And they're going to be destroyed by fire. So you know Sodom and Gomorrah? And it was destroyed by fire. This is the elements. That's all material matter, isn't it, really? It's going to be destroyed by fire. Far out. That's the day of the Lord. That's the day of the Lord. You won't miss it. No. <laughs> just, just you don't want to be connected to those elements at the time, if you know what I mean. Um, and the earth and everything in it will be laid bare. So the elements will be destroyed and the earth and everything in it will be laid bare. So it's going to be a, a wasteland in a sense. That's when it will be. Okay, since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? The things we place so much attention on, the things that we spend most of our time doing, the, the where our energies in our life tend to go into and the things we put all our... Interests in, generally, if they're not if they're outside of God, all that stuff's going to be destroyed. That's why he says it's all going to be gone. Do you know what? You never know. It could be within seven years the Lord returns. Could be seven years time. We know that there's going to be significant events that are going to take place that will indicate that the seven years have started. Some people believe it's already started, but I don't believe it has. But we know that there will be a point where we'll know that it's going to be at least seven years or more. So as far as we know, just say in 10 years the Lord's returning. Just say you knew. What, how would that affect you now? Would you just carry on normally or would, would that change everything? So we don't know when the Lord's going to return, but we know that we're going to need time to prepare. We're going to need time to change who we are and to 
to, you know, become the ministers that we're meant to be because we're all ministers of reconciliation. Every single true Christian is a minister of reconciliation. So one thing the Lord's going to hold you accountable for on Judgment Day is, I placed you down there as a minister of reconciliation. What did you do with that ministry? And the Lord hates it when you say you buried it. <laughs> Who's read the stories of the talents that were buried? He gives a clear indication. Oh, sorry, sorry, Lord, I buried it. He'll be thrown with the hypocrites. He'll be thrown out there with his weeping and gnashing of teeth. You don't want to be where the weepers and the gnashes of the teeth are. You know, if, if, if you truly believe that Jesus is the Christ, you truly believe that God is God and he's real and he exists, if you truly believe this stuff, let it change you into a minister. Let it change you into a minister of the gospel. Let it change the way you think and act and move and have your being every single moment of every single day. If you truly believe this stuff, because the true belief, will, that will be the outcome. You'd be a minister. Wouldn't be any other outcome, really. It would have to be that outcome because you would live and breathe it. Doesn't mean you don't work. Doesn't mean you don't do those things. It's just those things don't take priority and they don't, they're not the most important things in your life anymore. You know what I'm saying? So that day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire and the elements will melt in the heat. And when it says, since everything is going to be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. There's a, there's, there's a lot in that and I probably won't go there because it will take me too long, but I'll just quickly brief it. The coming of the Lord is going to sped up through a certain act. It says this gospel of the kingdom will be preached to every nation and then the end will come. So the speeding of, its, of the coming of the Lord will be in relation to the preaching of the gospel to every nation. Now God knows exactly when that will take place and, and when it's fulfilled. But when the ministers of the church rise up and say, I'm going to, in my part of the world, I'm going to make sure that's accomplished. It, as far as it depends on me and the influence with which God gives me, I'm going to make sure it's preached. I'm going to make sure the message is out there, that I'll spread the kingdom of God in my vicinity. And if we all start acting like this, if the true church wakes up and we all start acting like this, we're going to speed the coming of the Lord. Mark my words, we will bring persecution upon the church because the church, oh, an awakened church, Satan will attack immediately. Because he'll be, he won't let it go on too long because he will want to crush it so that it doesn't spread its influence. But that doesn't mean we don't do it. <laughs> that shouldn't deter us because to, to live is to serve God, to die is to gain. So if Satan comes against us and, and kills us for our faith, we've gained. It's a beautiful thing to die for the Lord. Much better than dying in a sickbed for, you know, of AIDS due to your own sin nature <laughs> or something like that. You know what I mean? Not saying that everyone who dies in a sickbed is due to that, but, you know, there's much more glory in dying in the name of Jesus as a martyr than dying on your sickbed. So we must keep it in context. We are called to be lights in this dark world. 
We are to be the rocks of refuge in times of trouble. We don't abandon all hope, though, and become fearful and lose it mentally. Some people hear a message like what I'm preaching right now, and then they go right off the deep end and they they become loopy. They either hide themselves away, (laughs) put scriptures all around their bedroom, you know, on the walls, and, you know, grow a big giant beard and, you know, don't see the light of day again. Or they become super spiritual. And they go out there and they just freak everybody out and no one wants to have a bar of them. Or they stand in run them all with a foghorn telling everyone they're dirty, rotten scoundrels so that people just hate Christians more. They're not serving Christ doing that. You've got to reach people. Reach people doesn't mean you've got to go and tell them they're horrible. Like, when the Spirit comes upon you, we know. That when we stand before a holy God, we're filthy. But you need the Spirit of God to do that. You don't do that by just, that's your opening remark, is it? You know, hey, you, you scoundrel. I'm sure they're going to turn it on. Oh, brother. (laughs) Thank you for calling me a scoundrel. I never knew I was. That's not how you reach men. You know, we've got to be wise and we need the Spirit of God. We need to be fully devoted. We need to be living holy and sacrificial lives to God, these things must be taking place in us. So when we meet people, the, it just impacts them. And our words are filled with grace and eloquence. We say the right things at the right moment because the Spirit of God is speaking clearly to us. We hear His voice. Amen. So I'm, I'm just going to push on a bit more if, if you can handle a bit more. No, we don't do that. We live sober lives. Sober. I use that word sober because there was a move of God and they called it a revival and it was called being drunk on the Holy Spirit. And it was an absolute mockery of Christianity, made a mockery of Christianity. Because they, they, they got the term because when Peter and the, the apostles received the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost, people accused them of being drunk. And so these Preachers went out there and they're saying, we're drunk on the Holy Spirit. And they're all rolling around laughing as if they're actually drunk. Carrying on like pork chops. But what did Peter say in response to that? He says, we're not drunk. It's 9 (laughs) a.m. But what you see here is what has been prophesied by Joel. You know what I mean? Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Young men will see visions. These are those days. So he rebuked them for calling them drunk. And see this move caught up millions of Christians. Even the church we were in at the time was caught up in it. I used to say, you know, I'd I'd come and I'd, I'd love the worship. I'd, then the sermon would come and the sermon was powerful and impacting and then the final event was disgusting. They're all rolling around, giggling like witches. The women sound like witches laughing on the floor. It used to freak me out. But I came back because I wanted the worship and the message and I used to want to leave before the older calls because of the, how bad it got. You know, and that's when the, the, out of that came my book that I wrote, God's Heart Cry for Revival. God wants revival, but he doesn't want nincompoops carrying on like pork chops rolling around on the ground, thinking that they're filled with the Holy Spirit. 
and blaming the Holy Spirit on the way they're acting. You know that? Come on. The church has to wake up. That's what I'm talking about. The church thought they were in revival, but what they were was in a deep sleep and that was some crazy dream they were having. You know what I mean? You know in those dreams where you don't know what you're doing, everything's sort of a bit blurry? You know, that's one of those dreams. That's the way the church went through that. No, we live sober lives, balanced lives, lives of renown, lives of humbleness, where we don't think more highly of ourselves than we ought, for God gives grace to the humble. We live humble, holy lives, serving God to the best of our ability. That's what we do. Isaiah 66 2 says, this is the one who I esteem. You want, you want to be esteemed by God? You want God to esteem you on that day? Who does he esteem? He who is humble and contrite in spirit. A humble and contrite spirit. And he who trembles at my word. Tell me, when was the last time you trembled when you opened the Bible? Start trembling and you'll be esteemed by God. If this thing starts to live in you and becomes alive when you open the page and it just bang, oh, you know what I mean? You know, when you're freaking out at the word, when you're trembling, when you can't, you're just getting blown away by what Jesus is revealing to you, God's going to esteem you for being like that. Probably not as crazy as that. And we consider others as greater than ourselves. That's what we do. We consider others as greater than ourselves, knowing that the judge, Jesus Christ, is coming and there is no favoritism with him. He won't favor you over another, except in one area, though. Is it that this is not in reference to this. There's those that are saved and there's those that are not saved. Those that love Jesus and those that don't love Jesus. Right? But among the loved, he's not going to show special favoritism to someone who doesn't deserve special favoritism. It's according to how they've lived for him. I was careful not to say by works because people get that all confused. Faith without deeds or faith without works is dead. We need works. But you're not saved by them. But once you are saved, God's going to weigh you on how you lived for him, according to those things. Philippians 2.3, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. It's in the Bible. We've got to consider others as better than ourselves. That's a hard one. That's a, that's a challenge for all Christians, isn't it? To consider others better than yourself. That's very sacrificial. Sacrificial to each other. Alright. Am I going too long? How many more? No, I better stop there because it's... Uh, I've got three more screens which would probably take me another half an hour to get through it. So, so I'm going to stop there. And I know I've already poured out a lot, and I think there's plenty to chew on. If I give you any more, you'll be over, overly full and won't enjoy the meal anymore. <laughs> or you'll be drunk. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Um, so let's pray. Thank you, God. Uh, Lord, we just uh, thank you for this time now, and I just pray that every word that I, I've said today is... Um, had an impact on everyone here and, and also on those that will be hearing it um, on the internet. And uh, I pray that 
this sermon will really uh, do some something deep and wonderful in all of us and help us to become uh, those Christians that you created us to be. For Lord, you've uh, laid down your life, you took up your cross and, and, and then you've turned and said to us that we should lay our lives down for you and take up our cross and follow you and we should walk as you've walked. And Lord, I know in myself and I know uh, there wouldn't be a person here that wouldn't say the same thing, that we have not lived as we should before you. We've not lived the holy life that we should have lived before you. And we just pray that from this day forward that we can uh, resolve in our minds, make it a new resolution to live for you completely and totally. Uh, that it, but in doing that, we keep it in perspective that we don't you know, give up everything else, but we, we keep doing the other things that we do, but we have you uh, first and foremost in our minds, in our hearts, in our lives. And that we learn to devote ourselves every day, devote ourselves to uh, studying your word and developing the word in our hearts and, uh, and uh, in prayer. And that we also will be developing our ministries to, to reach people for you. And that you really do a deep, uh, significant change in us um, each and every day from this day forth. So that uh, we can live holy and pleasing lives to you uh, as uh, living sacrifices. And we pray this in your wonderful name. And I just ask that you be with us now uh, through this week. Bless us, pour out your spirit upon us, cover us in your precious blood, put your angels around us to the sides of us and uh, take us through this week safely and, and bring us together again next week. And may we just uh, see your name glorified through this week. Amen. 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 Thanks for listening to this sermon. If you search Rob Cartledge in the iTunes store or go to www.robcartledge.com, you'll see a number of different sermon series uncovering religion, truth, judgment, and eternity, apologetics 101, critical doctrine, and end times. Feel free to check them out.